Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. The mid-April tax deadline looms, and many of us, perhaps most, have yet to file those 2017 tax returns. There are always questions as the deadline approaches, and with last year's tax reform legislation, some of those questions may reflect uncertainty as to whether and how the new law will affect the 2017 returns. Here to answer your questions at 382-8255 is Lance Weiss, CPA, and a partner with the firm SFW Partners, Inc., Lance, it must be close to tax time. <laughs> nice to see you again. Uh, thanks for having me back, Don. I always appreciate being on the air, and uh, it, it is a time of, of interesting change, it without is, a doubt. It is indeed. One thing we have to clarify right at the outset, some people may think that the tax law passed late last year will have an impact uh, on 2017 tax returns. Yeah, and for the most part, it does not. M- most of the changes kick in at, at January 1 of 2018, uh, there were some business provisions that were backdated to the September 27th date. For some reason, they picked kind of that odd date in September. But th- there are some provisions that affect the 2017 year. But for the most part, it's all about planning for 2018. Well, we had uh, an email from uh, uh, Ron Hagen who writes, Please discuss the effect of 2018 federal tax regulations upon 2017 fiscal years overlapping into 2018. Yeah, that's uh, one of the areas that uh, evidences the fact that they wrote this law in a hurry and we're waiting for some more guidance on exactly how some of the things will be answered. Now, if the uh, if, if Ron has a, a C corporation, the rules are fairly clear there where that if we have a, a year that ends, say, June 30 of 2018 – then what he would do with his income for that year is use half of the old tax rate structure and half of the new tax rate structure. So they made the rules pretty clear on the C corporation side. But on the S corporation and the flow through side, we're waiting for some guidance because there's a little bit of disparity out there in the rules with how they pointed uh, to different sections within the code. Most of us are taking the interpretation and expecting the rule to be that when he gets that K-1 for his June fiscal year, all of it will be eligible for the lower brackets. But we have to put a big caveat around that conclusion and say, keep your eye out for new regulations and, and additional guidance on that subject. But again, for the most part, the bill was very business friendly. So if there was an opportunity to lower the tax rate on business income, they were trying to do that. Is it a simpler tax law now? It it really all depends on who you are and what type of return you have. Uh, Parts of it for individuals earning income on a W-2 that aren't in a real big house with a whole lot of mortgage interest, it it is easier because now many, many fewer people will itemize deductions. And also, except for a very rare situation, that dreaded alternative minimum tax is, is gone. Now, it's still in the law. But unless a person has significant uh, depreciable property or maybe some stock option type income, I I expect to see the alternative minimum tax gone for 90 plus percent of the people that it used to hit. So in that respect, it's easier. If you own a business, though, if you own a flow through business or a Schedule C, it's a little bit more complicated. So parts they made easier, parts they made substantially harder. What uh, what should people be thinking about now in 2018, looking ahead to what their tax returns are going to be like uh, well, next year? Most tax returns report their income and most taxpayers report their income coming through on a Form W-2. 
their their employees. They have income earned from their employer. Their employer does all the withholding. And there have been some significant changes to the withholding tables. So what we're advising people to do and then our clients who have the W-2 income, we're saying, hey, send us a pay stub, you know, through September or I'm, so, I'm sorry, through February or maybe one of these recent ones, you know, for the first half of March here. And let us take a look at it and see if they adjusted the withholding to your detriment or maybe you won't have a refund next April or if maybe for some reason they're withholding too much depending on how you had your your um, your W uh, – Oh, gosh, Don, you're going to stump me on a form number. How you had your W-9 filled out, W-4 filled out, how you had your W-4 filled oh, out. Oh, yeah, the good old W-4. Oh, of course, <laughs> 4, 9. <laughs> yeah. Anything else we should be thinking of or or, or uh, preparing for or planning for for uh, 2018? Well, so there are some changes in the mortgage interest rules uh, that home equity mortgage interest is no longer deductible unless the proceeds on that loan were used to – build, buy, or improve your main home. So there are some deductions that have gone by the wayside. Um, if you have a lot of miscellaneous itemized deductions in the form of unreimbursed employee business expenses or you know the tax prep fees and safety deposit box and money management mm-hmm. fees, all those sorts of miscellaneous deductions are gone. And if you were relying on those deductions to help lower your income tax bill, then again, that's a big planning point. You might need to, to go onto the quarterly tax filing system and, and prepare quarterly estimated payment vouchers. So, so how do I know all of this? Uh, I, you know, the average uh, guy on the street. So it, it's through a review of your most recent tax return. And for most of us within the next couple of weeks anyway, that'll be the 2017 returns. So if you have a, a large state and income tax and real estate tax deduction, now on a married return, that deduction is capped at $10,000. Mm-hmm. That's all you get. So... If you have a lot of investment real estate, you could see your, you know, your tax deduction for that go down, um, and, and it's just so it's a matter of, re- of reviewing your return, particularly the itemized deductions, to see what might change. And probably a pretty good idea to work with someone like like yourself to uh, be in good shape. Yeah, it, but there are so many good softwares out there. There are you know so many good. We've talked oftentimes about TurboTax and kind of the generic form, but all of those off the shelf type products have a uh, tax summary projector built into them. Mm -hmm. So I'd pay close attention to that. And then, you know, through that and Google, uh, a lot of people can take a good stab at it themselves. I'm always surprised when you talk like this, and it's to your credit that you do, because you're in the business of helping people (laughs) arrange their finances. But uh, you do recommend uh, TurboTax and things like that uh, for many taxpayers. Yeah, if you're comfortable enough with the computer and comfortable enough with the tax forms, then by all means. I mean, the software is designed to help people, and it does a good job for a lot of people. Uh, Now, the more complicated your investment structure, uh, certainly with any property that you might own that is depreciable property and what's a repair and what do I have to capitalize – there's a place for a CPA, mm-hmm. uh, but there are 140 million tax returns, personal tax returns filed every year. And I, I just don't have time to do all of them, Don. So. <laughs> <laughs> Much as you'd like to have a big chunk of it. Oh, no. This is Lance, too many, too many. Lance Weiss, CPA, is with us. We're talking taxes, and I have to take a break now. We'll do that. I'll ask Betty, who is calling from Shrewsbury, to hang on. We'll take the break and come back and take your call right off the bat. And anybody else who has tax questions, now's the time to get them answered. 382 
38255 is the number. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org, or if you'd prefer to send a tweet, do so at STL on Air. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Now back to that conversation with Lance Weiss, and I promised Betty in Shrewsbury we'd go right to her, so let's do so. Betty, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Thank you. I wanted to know, my husband is in a skilled nursing facility. This is our first year that we have to do our taxes with him being in the skilled nursing facility. We use his long-term care insurance policy. That company writes the check each month to me for my husband. I, of course, immediately write the check to the skilled nursing facility for the entire amount. And I want to know if I, how I declare this. Um, do I declare it? Can I use a short form? Can I use a long form? I, I just I don't know how to do this. Okay, so the skilled uh, facility is basically collecting all of the insurance money. So the good news here is just to, to cut to the bottom line is I expect no adverse tax consequence for receiving this money. So the way that I would expect it to work is that the funds come in and then you spend really all that. And in many cases, the individuals end up spending even more than that amount uh, than what's been reimbursed. So the deduction that you can end up with on your personal return will be the total you spent minus the amount that was reimbursed from the long-term care insurance. And then that number, that net number, gets reported on Schedule A, and it's a medical deduction. And then to the extent the medical deduction exceeds 7.5% of your income, then that gets added to your Schedule A and potentially a tax deduction off of net income. You have that, Betty? So, uh, so I, or, you know, the other way to answer the, the the question would be long form. You know, plan on the long form because you're going to need long. the Schedule A to go through it, and okay. then it's a netting of the amounts. So, I I don't expect you'll be hit with any unexpected income. And there's actually a pretty good discussion of itemized deductions if you want to get out to the IRS's website in Publication 17, and they even have some worksheets in there that can help you through the calculation. Okay. Would it be better if I had some professional help or can my, my wonderful daughter do this for me? Or what, what would you suggest? Uh, I think it's always a good idea to have a second set of eyes look at it. So if your, your daughter uh, is the person, then I think that's a great idea. Oh, yeah. She's the main person. Okay. Yep. All right. Betty, yeah. your wonderful daughter can come over and help me if she's got some <laughs> spare time. <laughs> oh, no. I drive her nuts as it is. Do I, do, do I have time for one more question? Sure. Okay. I also, in, in our home, I put improvements in in the form of new doors and exterior doors and exterior windows. Um, do I, can I get anything back from the tax? Uh, you can, and, and that was one of the, you know, I mentioned with Don earlier, there were a few things in this new tax law that affected 2017, and, and this is one of them. So they extended what they call the home energy credit, so to the extent the windows and the new doors, or really e- either or, not both, uh, assuming that they qualify under this Energy Star rating, then you can get up to a 10% credit from the amount that you purchased or for the, for the amount you spent on the doors and windows on your return. Now, in total, 
that deduction or that credit rather is is capped at five hundred dollars, and it's a lifetime credit. So this particular credit has been around for at least ten years or so. So you'd have to go back and make sure that you haven't claimed that before with, you know, other windows or a roof or a furnace or an air conditioner or whatever it might have been. Um, but so again, the the short answer is yes, it could help. Uh, they need to be energy related, and then. Um, up to 10% of the amount spent can be a credit. Great. Betty, thank you. Lots of good news for you today, I think. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for being with us. Let's uh, stay with the phones and go with Tom calling from Creve Coeur. Tom, thanks for being with us. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good. I have an accountant, and he, my wife and I are both retired. Neither of We both deferred taking Social Security, so we have no earned income. And uh, as I understood it, and I'm calling to see if I understood it incorrectly or misunderstood it, um, my accountant said that most of our uh, income is going to come. We generate fairly substantial capital gains. And he indicated that um, if you're, this is the way I understood it, if, if you have virtually no income, but let's say you have capital gains of, let's say, $90,000, that a significant portion of that is not taxable. Is that correct? That, that is correct. So there's some math that we go through when you have capital gain income where to the extent the income is in the lower brackets and under the 17 law, that would be defined as the 15 bracket, the 15% bracket or the 10% bracket. Right. With the 18 law, it'll be the 10% bracket or the 12% bracket. But to the extent your total taxable income is in those two brackets, you don't have, you're in what's called the 0% capital gains bracket. Okay. So for 2018, I think that bracket on a married return cuts off around 77000 give or take a little bit, Yeah. plus your $24,000 standard deduction. So you're up, uh, what is that, around 101000 yeah. of total income the, that's potentially subject to the 0% tax rate. Okay, so does that mean that I could uh, generate capital gains up to that combined total, including the deduction? Well, so this is, yeah, this is where you want to run the numbers in the software, and it would probably be worthwhile to sit down with your accountant for, you know, just an hour or so and let him or her plug in some numbers into the software just to make sure you're not missing anything. Because I I I hate to give the blanket yes to that question because, you know, there could be some other IRA distribution or some other factor. In in theory, though, it's reasonable to gross up your, the, uh, to keep you in that lower bracket, you can add to it the standard deduction. And, you know, if, if I've miscalculated what, our, what my total income is, then it's obviously not going to work that way. But Yeah, it, in general, the theory will work. But, okay. but be aware, though, that Social Security income does begin to become taxable as your income increases. Well, that's right. That's one of the reasons we're trying to generate some of the yeah. capital gains now when we don't have any. One last question. I'm also the trustee for a trust that has a similar situation. They have relatively low income uh, uh, but we generated quite a bit of capital gains last year. Does this rule apply to a trust if it's irrevocable? Yes and no. And, and the no part of that answer is is much more harsh because on the individual returns, that floor kicks in at about 77000 or a little bit north of 100000 with the exemption. On the trust return, I think that kicks in at around $6,000. So it's a much, much lower for, floor, uh, but – Perhaps there are some things you can do with the trust instrument itself that might allow you to pass those capital gains through to the beneficiaries and maybe take advantage of the uh, better rates available at the beneficiary bracket rather than the trust bracket. So, and, and please sit down with your professionals 
and, and go through that trust document because there are some the, – the high brackets start at a terribly low number in, in a trust. And, Tom, if you have any left over, you know our address. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for your help. Yeah, thanks, you're very thanks, welcome. Thanks, thanks for calling, Tom. Let's go to Robin calling from St. Louis. Robin. Yes. Thank go you ahead. very much for taking my call. Sure. Uh, question, how does the new tax law impact the yearly bonuses? Bonuses. So new tax law affecting the yearly bonuses, uh, you know, generally bonus income is reported on a form W-2. Uh, yeah. pr- pretty much all W-2 income is subject to lower brackets This uh, for 2018. Really every one of the rate brackets came down by two or three points uh, for the most part. Um, but, you know, it's still taxable income as it was before. Now for the very large bonuses – uh, the public companies are – and really all companies, but it's pretty rare in the private companies that uh, this would happen. But those bonuses, they're in excess of a million dollars, face much more scrutiny um, from their standpoint of being deductible by the corporation paying the bonus. So – and that's a whole other corporate-level discussion. For the for most of us, though, who, who earn a bonus at the end of the year and it might be 5 or 10 or 20 percent of our base salary, whatever that math might be, not a big difference, uh, really, from 2018 to 2017. Uh, thank you. And that will be whether or not you itemize or not. Yeah, that's really the case whether you itemize or not. Um, and that whole itemized deduction with the standard deduction now being up at 24000 many fewer will itemize their deductions. Um, and, you know, it's generally a good thing that that standard deduction went from 24000 up from just over 12000 But coupled with that was the loss of personal exemptions. And if you have two or three kids, you find yourself in negative territory with that change. Right. Robin, thanks so much for the call. Thank you. Let's bring in Dan. He's calling from St. Louis. Dan, go ahead. You're on the air. Hey. Well, I have a question I'm not sure if he knows the answer to because it's very industry-specific and I don't know his background I'm an over-the-road truck driver, and we just lost a huge tax deduction. I'm talking on the lines of, like, $14,000 a year. We used, we used to get a per diem deduction of, like, $63 a year, of which we were able to deduct 80% of that. Now, since we lost that, my company is paying us a smaller per diem, but it's not money we ever really see in our check. You know, they pay you and they take it right out before you get your check. So I'm not quite sure if there's still any deduction in there come next April for 2018 and how that works. Yes, on, on all parts. Okay. So the, uh, the the per diem that you were earning before was $63 a day. Now, the IRS goes through some math and they say that 40% of that was deemed to be for meals. Therefore, only half of that was deductible. And that's how you get to the 20% of it was a deduction. Now, the the what the truck drivers and and everyone else who travels for a living who earns these per diems, many companies would put that into their W two as a taxable wage, and then the individuals would take that deduction as a miscellaneous itemized deduction, and come out really in a pretty good position when it was all said and done. But part of the 2018 law is the elimination of miscellaneous itemized deductions; they're just gone. So, Dan, you know, what your company did for you was was really nice. And we're working with a lot of our clients to accomplish the same goal. And what they did is before you were on what was called an unaccountable plan, and all you had to do was say, I'm out of town, give me $63 a day. You didn't have to turn in expense reports or anything else along with it. It was a non-accountable plan. 
But when you had that, um, it was taxable to you, and then you had to go through and calculate your own deduction. What the company sounds like they did is they converted to what's called an accountable plan. So this is a plan where you need to turn something in, you know, hopefully at least every quarter. Uh, Most companies try to require it monthly or maybe even with each paycheck. Tell us how many days you're out of town and we'll pay you that per diem. But we're not going to pay the whole $63 a day because now it's all (laughs) tax-free. Well, I'm not quite sure how it works because it's not set up exactly like that. They base they pay they pay us a basic fifty three dollar a day deduction for every day we're out on the road, or I'm sorry, a fifty three dollar per diem. Now, when I do my taxes, I I was never required to supply receipts for any of my per diems. I just deducted the percentage that I'm allowed, and that came off of my gross income. I don't know how that's going to change for 2018 with that fifty three dollars that's on my check but not really on my check because it's never in my bank account. Well, the, the, Is that sort of confusing to you as it is to me? Yeah, well, the $53 a day, uh, now, did they reduce it to from 63 to 53 because of the change? Uh, I believe so. Okay. So what they did then is, is they said, we're, we're going to give you the, the, before the $63 a day was on your W-2. The $53 a day won't be on your W-2, but it should still be in your bank account. That's, no. That's that, what it's like. It's like go, it like comes out of my check pre-tax. Comes out of your check pre-tax. So well, they're they saying... They put it in there, but then they take it right back out before they pay me my paycheck. So that's why I don't know if it's still a deduction come the end of the year. Or is it just like, with this per diem, you would have made X amount of dollars, say 50000 but we took it out of your check, so really you only made forty thousand. So that's where your that's where your income taxes start at is forty thousand before your standard deduction. Yeah. So is I, that how they're setting it up to work? Yeah. So what what they're doing is they're not including it in your taxable income. But again, I I check with with HR and and payroll because typically the way we set up the accountable plans are that you know instead of giving you sixty three a day that's taxable. Now we're going to give you, you know, 45 or 50 or 53 or whatever the math might be, but call it non-taxable so that the the number's still there. But back to your second point, though, there will be no more itemized deduction, no more deduction on your return for that amount. Yeah, that's just for the owner-operators, not the company drivers anymore. We got hurt big time. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, it sounds like I got a little bit more research to do, but I appreciate your input and putting me on the right path anyway. Dan, okay. Thank you for the call, Dan. How does the IRS come up with these formulas, 40% of this and 10% of that? I mean, it looks like they're just pulling them out of a hat. Well, for the longest time, meals have only meals and entertainment expenses have only been 50% deductible anyway. And then in that per diem, they just came up with this arbitrary percentage that 40% will be the meal portion and 60% will be the hotel and other uh, miscellaneous like, like I said, they pulled the numbers out of a hat. They, that they do, <laughs> yeah, or from somewhere. We think We hope it's a hat, yeah. I guess. Let's go to Kelly calling from St. Louis. Kelly, thank you for waiting. Go ahead. Yeah, I am uh, going into assisted living this year, and I'm trying to figure out. I had a a small amount of investments, which um, I will be delving into quite a bit um, this year and into next year. Uh, Tax-wise, am I liable for those investments uh, and am I, is there something I can do to reduce 
um, my liability on that. Well, so if the investments are in an IRA or other sort of retirement account, then yeah. all then all of those withdrawals will be subject to income tax. Okay. Uh, now, some of the cost related to assistant living is generally deductible as a medical expense. And if you sit down with the director at the uh, facility, he or she can kind of walk you through their general percentage on what might qualify for the medical deduction. So okay. you, you want to be sure not to leave any of that on the table. Um, but again, for 2018, it takes a substantial amount spent in order to be able to itemize and get the benefit for those. Right. Now, um, as far as medical deductions, because I usually have quite a bit of that, um, are there any reductions for 2018 from 17? Well, the same hurdle is there that the total expense needs to be more than 7.5% of income before any, right. any of it can be considered deductible. And then in 17, to the extent your total itemized deductions were bigger than oh, roughly 6000 or so on a single return and 12000 on a joint, then you were able to itemize your deductions. For 2018, instead that cap or that floor rather goes up to 12000 on a single and 24000 on a married. So oh it could be that you're, you know, you'll benefit from having a higher standard deduction, um, but in essence that's really just replacing a lot of the medical deduction. Right. Okay. Kelly, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for calling. We have to take another break. We'll do that now. We have some lines open. I'll ask Mike in Granite City to hang on. We'll come back to you as soon as we uh, have this break. We're talking with Lance Weiss. He's a CPA, and we're talking taxes. And if, uh, as I say, we have some lines open, 382-8255 is the number if you have a tax question. Uh, you can send an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org or send us a tweet at STL on air. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back. We are talking taxes with CPA Lance Weiss. And as I promised Mike in Granite City, we go right to him. So, Mike, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Yeah, I had installed solar panels last year for my house, and I qualify for the 30% tax increase. Now, I understand that um, it can be used over more than one year, but I haven't been able to find out if that can be extended through the year 2019 for three years or if you're limited to two years or what. Do you oh. have information on that? Yeah, Mike, I think you might have stumped me on that one because I was going to say it is the solar credit. You are eligible for 30%, and it does carry forward. Um, 
My guess was actually going to be five years on that, Mike, but that is something that I really want to check. Um, so if I get a chance, maybe at the next break, I can check that real quickly. But the credit will carry forward for at least a couple of years, and, and it might be as many as five. Yeah, I believe after 2019, they start scaling it back a little bit. Well, that would be for the credits generated in that year. Once you have the credit, it's okay. calculated and carried forward at that whole number until it's all used up. He's, okay, great. Uh, and also, uh, you mentioned earlier that there's a 10% and then 12% bracket yeah, so taxes, because I thought it was just 12% from the beginning. So it'll be similar to when they had the 10 and 15? Yes, it will be. Okay, great. Okay, well, thank you very much. I'll be listening for that answer on the solar panels. He mentioned the word tax increase. Was he mis? mis yeah, it's actually that? a tax credit. Yeah. yeah, and you know, solar panels, geothermal, those were both the the energy type credits that were uh, eligible through seventeen. Mm -hmm. As we wait for, for another call or two to come in, uh, just a quick question again on the uh, tax reform package: How is that likely to Im impact our state taxes? We just follow the same formula, I guess, as we've always done with. Yeah, for the for the most part. Now, on the uh, for the business owner, it'll have what will seem like a negative effect because they're they're going to get this new federal tax deduction for twenty percent of their eligible qualified business income, but then at the state level, they won't get that benefit. So I don't see a lot of a, a big tax decrease at the state level mm -hmm. because of this, be, just because of the way that. In Missouri, your income starts with that federal adjusted gross income, yeah. and there weren't too many changes in that regard. Okay. Let's go back to the phones. We uh, have Joss calling from St. Louis. Joss, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi. It's actually Jonathan. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead. Um, I just, I'm curious to see how this is going to impact my deduction for student loan interest and also for my tuition expenses. So both the student loan interest deduction and the deduction for tuition and fees are uh, really, for the most part, unchanged. So those, yeah, those deductions will still be there. And then the American Opportunity Credit is also there. So a couple of, okay. yeah, relatively good changes or no changes there. Well, that's perfect. I was afraid it was going to, you know, interfere because that does actually help because I'm paying for school out of pocket right now because I've already got student loans. Don't need any more. Right. Yeah, good luck. Good luck to you. Thanks for calling. Thanks. Our next Bye -bye. our next call comes from Baldwin. That'll be Royal. Go ahead, Royal. You're on the air. Yeah, I'm just curious on the charitable deduction thing. Uh, I I give several different charities, uh, usually late in December, depending on how much money I got left over. And in the past, they've always, uh, even though they might not process it till in January, they send me the letter uh, dated before December 31st. Well, some this year said, no, nah, we're not doing that anymore. We're just going to date the letter the day we process it. How serious is the IRS if I should happen to get audited on, uh, say, well, you can't do that? Well, so you need to have that uh, that written deduction for any or that written evidence for any deduction greater than $250. So, you know, if you can show that the money left your bank account before then or that you dated the check and it was mailed before then, you should still be okay. But I would press the charity to say, hey, you received this before December 31st. Let's change this letter to say 1231. Well, in my case, they probably didn't receive it before then because I didn't mail them until the 30th of December. But uh, anyway. Yeah. So you'll have your evidence of, of, of mailing and the check was dated then. And certainly if it cleared on the you know second or third, it you know really had to be mailed before then. Yeah. So, you know, for the most part, when the IRS would come in and look at an issue like that, uh, you know, I, I see for the most part they would be kind and gentle in that regard, 
Okay. But if it were a large year-end deduction, that's one where you do want to go back to the charity and say, listen, I need this documentation for my tax return. Yeah, we're only talking a couple thousand dollars here, so it's not that large in my opinion. But Yeah. Well, it isn't ours. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Earl. Thanks for the okay, call. Well, thank you very much. Let's go to Theo calling from St. Louis. Theo, you're on the air. <laughs> Theo? Theo, are you there? Okay, we're going to pass on Theo. Maybe we can get that straightened out. We'll go to Deborah instead. She's calling from St. Louis. Deborah, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Yes, thank you for taking my call. I uh, am a private uh, provider of therapy services for um, a pediat for Pete. And I'm considered a pass-through corporation because of what I do, how my business is set up. Could you explain to me what is going to happen uh, in 2008 for the pass-through corporation so I can kind of... Um, talked to my, my own CPA. She really didn't have a lot of answers for me. Right. Okay. So your tax is what's called a sub-S corporation, sounds like. Yeah. Okay. So as a sub-S corporation, you earn income from two different sources from the sub-S. You have your W-2 that you take out for the reasonable wages that the company pays you, that your own company pays you. And then you also have a portion that flows through on the K-1 as the pass-through income. So that pass-through income is eligible for the 20% deduction. Now, there's a lot of math that it goes through to see how much of a deduction you get there. But if your total taxable income is under 315000 then for the most part, you can calculate that you're only going to pay income tax on 80% of your flow-through portion. Now, the W-2 portion is all still fully taxable, but it's that net income that falls to the bottom line after the deduction for your W-2 that's eligible for the 20% deduction. And are there going to be very specific guidelines as I want to make sure that I meet the criteria for the pass-through? I've been told that that's what I am, but I want to see what that criteria is. Well, the, so Where the, do I go to find that information? Yeah, so the definition of pass-through is pretty clear. Every S-corporation is a pass-through entity. Most limited liability companies are also pass-through entities, assuming they've elected to either be taxed as an S-corporation or a partnership or even as a sole proprietor, the LLCs will also qualify as a pass-through piece. The, the, okay. the, the bigger definition and the harder math comes into play, if, you're, if your taxable income is greater than 315000 then there are all sorts of wage limitations, uh, and, and other floors that we need to get through to see how much of the income is deductible. Very good. And then I was also told, uh, it was recommended to me that I am very careful about how much I'm going to put into my SEP, and because to affect that income, I don't want it to be too low. Is that correct? And then the rest of that, maybe instead of putting it into SEP, to put it into the IRA to find some kind of a balance so I can take advantage of that pass-through. Yeah, so generally the, the SEP will give the SEP IRA will give you a better deduction than the regular IRA. And both of those are important because that will lower your taxable income to keep you below that three hundred and fifteen dollar three hundred and fifteen thousand dollar threshold where the calculation gets much more complicated and actually begins to, to phase out to some extent. So a, a, and really another plan you might want to look at rather than the SEP that could help you lower your income tax even more are these uh, small 401ks or solo 401ks or single 401ks 
many of the investment uh, managers that have different names for essentially the same product, but it's just a, a, a 401k plan for a closely held business like you have. And in that one, you could put $18,000 into the 401k plus a percentage of your W-2 as well. So these solo Ks are a, a very powerful deduction tool um, that might help more than even the SEP IRA does. Oh, okay. I've never heard of that. So I will definitely check into that with my manager, my uh, financial planner. Yep. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks for calling. Lance, I don't know how you keep all this stuff straight in your head. <laughs> no, this is, this is my been, 21st year to be on uh, on KWMU. So I've well, been in we, the business a long time. And this is why we keep asking you back. <laughs> you know so much. We have an email here from Elizabeth who writes, the fileable calculatable 1040 form on the Missouri Department of Revenue website does not seem to work. Do you know of other easy free ways to electronically file for state? I, I don't. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No. Well, she's yeah. ready to call the, somebody from IT to <laughs> give her a hand on yeah, that. Yeah, I, I would guess. admit it probably won't be down long. I mean, yeah. generally, uh, Missouri's got a pretty good website. Yeah. Yeah. That that brings us to the issue of, of security. In, in past years, there's been an increase in in uh, fraud and hacking and people getting uh, other people's refunds when they shouldn't. Uh, anything new on that front? You know, it seems like we're seeing much less of that this year. So I think the IRS is starting to catch up with a lot of these cyber criminals and, and through the PIN numbers that uh, have been issued and then really through stuff that the IRS has done that they won't tell us what they've done because if they did, then there people know. would know how sure. to get around it. Yeah. Uh, but we're seeing many fewer uh, rejections because of already filed returns. Well, that's good news. Let's go back to the phones and bring in Ryan calling from Clayton. Ryan, you're on the air. Yes, hi. Uh, you just answered the, the, a question I had. Uh, I have been using TurboTax for some years now. Uh, the last question uh, having to do with safety on the computer, first of all, is information safe? Oh, oh my. <laughs> you know, and, and there's really no way to know that all the information yeah. is safe. Uh, I, you know, well, I, I, I didn't really hear the last question, but it, it, it causes me to ask the question when you're putting in all this information, uh, like your tax return information, uh, as long as it says HTTPS, you're pretty much safe, right? Well, at, at least that that's the safest protocols that they have out there at, at this point, at least that I'm aware of. So you look for that little green HTTPS, yeah. uh, you know, on the left side of your address bar. And, and I think that's about as good as it gets. But I, I love how our IT guy at the office puts it when he says, you know, there really is no cloud. It's just <laughs> someone else's computer. <laughs> so, you know, we, we all need now, to be careful. One more is uh, has to do with I had, so I've been using this TurboTax and everything's been fine. My situation has changed. I sold my property last August and I'm now renting. Um, I have all the paperwork I need for those for that sale, etc. I have also retired, so I now am a newly uh, into this whole world of Medicare. I've got all that information. Is it okay to continue to use TurboTax? 
you know, I, I would say TurboTax, again, it's a real good program. Now, okay. the, the year that a person sells their house, you want to pay real close attention to your closing statement because even though you didn't write the check for real estate tax at the end of the year, if you sold your house midway through the year, on your closing statement was essentially a payment from you for those real estate taxes. So you want to be sure to pick up all those deductions that are listed on that closing statement. Okay, Ryan? I think I did that. Yeah. It sounds like you've got a pretty good handle on uh, okay. on, on how it all works. So I'm, you know, you sound okay. like the, the right candidate there for the TurboTax. Well, all she has okay. to worry about is that 400-pound guy on a bed someplace <laughs> 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 that we've heard so much about. Ryan, thanks for the call. You're welcome. Thank you. We'll bring in Steve calling from St. Louis. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, hi. Um, I suffered what was, for me, a, a sizable loss on the sale of a piece of investment real estate in 2017. And uh, my accountant tells me that I have the option of carrying the loss back a couple of years or alternatively carrying it forward. Um, and I don't know how to make that decision on which way to go. I expect my other uh, income to be fairly steady in the coming years. Um, but it's hard for me without knowing exactly the impact of the new tax law to know, you know, what my tax liability is going to be exactly in dollars in the coming years. How, how do you best go about making that decision? Well, so this, and it was a 2017 loss on sale? Correct. Okay. So what you need to do is pull out your 2015 and 2016 tax returns. And then if you carry that loss back, it goes to 15 first. And then if there's any remaining, it goes to 16. And then if there's any remaining, then it automatically gets carried forward on out to the 2018 year. So the the math that you do is really just to calculate how much of a refund would I get if I amended the 15 and 16 and got those refunds versus not doing that and then carry it forward into the future years? So, you know, it could be an opportunity to carry the loss forward into the future year and then maybe couple that uh, that that deduction that you know you're going to have maybe with a conversion from a regular IRA to a Roth IRA. So there are some things that you might be able to do to to give that NOL or that loss on this sale uh, more benefit in the future. But it's really such a specific question that there's never one pat answer that says always carry back or always carry forward. It's really too uh, fact-specific to get into. Right. Okay. But without, obviously, without being able to know what the future liability is that compounds the difficulty of making the decision. Yeah, it really does. It takes a projection, and uh, but a, a lot of things that that or one of the things that some people just don't think about is, hey, I have this IRA money. You know, what if I pulled all that out and then created a Roth IRA, which is never subject to tax? So, yeah, too late for me. I've uh, already made conversion. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. Okay. Thanks for the call. I'm going to try to squeeze in Tory calling from Maryland Heights. Thank you, Tory. It's got to be quick. Go ahead, please. All right. Uh, I'll try to make this quick. Essentially, uh, I tried to get into a family business with one of my parents, and um, it was a trade. I was installing um, marble into bathrooms, and they started me off under the table uh, because I was learning, and they were going to give me on the payroll. And uh, time went on. About six months went on. That never happened, so I got out of there because it just 
was sketching me out. Um, and I'm just curious. Now I have this lapse of work for about six months for last year. And I'm wondering how concerned I should be when I'm going to report something because I pretty much have nothing to report. Uh, they didn't keep any records of anything, uh, what they were paying me. Uh, oh. Tori, I think we've got it. We've only got a minute left to answer. Okay. So let's, let's yeah. go. So, Tori, the thing to do is, is pull out your bank statements or whatever records you have of the cash. And you, you're going to need to file a Schedule C to report all that income. The IRS won't care what records they didn't provide. It's really on the taxpayer to report all the income they earned. Regardless of how much or how little you work, you've got to you've got to uh, fill out the forms, that's, and that's exactly how it works. Okay, well, Lance, we're reaching the end of this uh, hour. Any quick note you have, or anything you want to tell people to be wary of, or or whatever? Well, you know, so about the, we've what three weeks left or so before the final day. Uh, the IRA deduction is one still that people can make that contribution to their regular IRA now and still get that tax deduction. Um, if they have any other sort of retirement plan, that might work as well. Um, but, you know, it's it's crunch time. It's time to pull all those records out and get started. Yeah, almost too late for a lot of people. <laughs> but, uh, yes, you're right. It is crunch time. Lance Weiss, CPA and partner with SFW Partners, LLC. Thanks, as usual, for doing a great job for us. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. Always enjoy talking to you. Tomorrow on St. Louis on the Air, we'll take a look at current legal issues with our legal roundtable panel of experts. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs are available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash stlonair. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.